Well, praise the Lord. I believe God wants to speak to us this morning, and I, this morning we're going we're gonna to wrap up, Lord willing, this series on Know Your Enemy. I really believe this is something that's very necessary for us as the people of God. You know, when I read the scripture, I don't see this as one of the major themes of the Bible that, you know, this is something we need to think about and talk about all the time. And yet, at the same time, I see that it is so clear in God's Word that we are foolish if we don't know about our enemy. If we're not aware of the spiritual battle that we are in, we need to hear this, we need to know this. Always remember that your real adversary is the devil. 1 Peter 5.8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Deception is Satan's number one tool. And we talked about that, how that he tries to use deception all the time. That he tries to get people in fear instead of walking in faith. We talked about how that Satan is a fear monger. How that he, he tries to undermine our faith to keep us from really believing God and standing on the word of God. I read in the back of the book that Satan is a defeated foe. Right. I know that ultimately the battle is already won, but I also know that we as the people of God, we have to fight the good fight of faith. Right. You see, all through the Old Testament, you see where God's people fought battles, and almost every time, there are only a couple of exceptions. Listen, God gave them the victory but they still had to fight for it. So it is with us. God has given us the victory, 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And yet we still have to fight the good fight of faith. Satan is still at work seeking whom he may devour. The battle is real. You know, we see lives that are being destroyed. We see people that are deceived and they turn away from the faith. We see people that are bound up, some kind of bondage or habit, addiction. We have to fight the good fight of faith until we see victory. I want to tell you, Jesus didn't die on a cross so that we could hang on till the end. He didn't, just, he didn't die on a cross just so we could cope. I don't want you to misunderstand me. Yes, God comforts us. Yes, he's with us in the difficult times of life. He, he's with the brokenhearted. Yes, but know this. He didn't die on the cross just so we could cope with the trouble of this life, but so that we could overcome, so we could have victory in our life. In Colossians 2.15, it says that Jesus, he disarmed the principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. The principalities and powers here are our spiritual enemies. They are the ranks of fallen evil spirits that took dominion of the world. You need to know that. Yes, they took dominion. Here's here's what happened. Those fallen spirits, the Bible says that Satan is the god of this age. He is the prince of the power of the air. And yes, he is at work in people's lives to bring destruction and heartache. Jesus has made the way that 
Colossians 1.13 says that we've been delivered from the dominion of darkness and we have been transferred over into the kingdom of God's Son. So He has no hold on us, but you need to be aware that He is very real and Satan is always working in this world. But those powers of darkness, the Bible says Jesus disarmed them. He took away their power over us. Our spiritual enemies, ultimately, they are defeated. You know, Jesus, when he disarmed them, the, you know, the old translation, the newer translations say disarmed there. The old translation says he spoiled them. And, you know, when it says spoil, it's not talking about like your food went bad. It's talking about the spoils of war. It's talking about that Jesus took what they had. And then it says that he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. This is a reference to what you see in biblical times when a conquering king or army would then have their enemies, the kings and princes of their enemy, they would then, after they defeated them, they would have them in this parade, this procession, along with the spoils of war that they had taken. And you see, it was a humiliation for the powers of darkness when Jesus rose from the dead. It is though he humiliated them and they were, had to be in this procession to show how that they had been defeated. It's openly made a spectacle of them to the world. They could not hold the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you that Satan's authority is broken over our lives. He's a defeated foe, but we still have to fight the good fight of faith. The prince of the power of the air. He wants to destroy as many lives as he can because he knows that his time is short. But too many believers are in denial that there's even a spiritual battle taking place. They don't even really engage in the battle, even though it's all around them and happening to them. They don't realize what's going on. We're going to read from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 13, verse 10 through 13. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. See, there's that principalities and powers again. Against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. we got to be prepared to stand against Satan. There is an evil day. An evil day when Satan will try to kill your loved one. He'll try to steal your peace and your joy. He'll try to destroy the call and purpose of God in your life. That evil day. you got to be ready for the evil day. How do you do that? He said, be strong in the Lord. Amen. See, there's just not really a place for this wimpy, half-hearted, casual Christianity. It will get you beat up on by the devil. You need to be strong in the Lord. You know, you, you could say, well, it's optional. Yeah, it's optional if you want your family and you to get whooped. That's right. If you want to win. 
You need to be, be strong in the Lord so that you are ready in the evil day to stand against all the schemes of Satan. Listen, it's not automatic. You've got to be strong in the Lord. You've got to make up your mind that you're going to serve God with a whole heart, that you're going to live for God. You're going to grow in the Lord. You're going to be somebody that's on fire, that you are strong in the Lord. I tell you, if we don't do that, we are a setup. We're an easy prey for the enemy. In verse 12, he tells us, we don't fight with flesh and blood, but with the powers of darkness. You know, we talked about how Satan uses deception, and this is one of his most successful deceptions, is to get believers fighting against other people. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood. That is not our true enemy. Satan uses people, but you need to understand that Satan is our true enemy. And the scripture says, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. It's amazing how the enemy deceives people and gets them fighting against one another. Sometimes, even in the body of Christ, believers fight against one another. They think that this group or that person is their problem. You need to realize that Satan is our problem. And when it comes to the lost, oh, this is where it gets ugly. We can't have this us versus them mentality. You know, they're, they're the bad ones. We, we got to get them. I want to tell you, Jesus never alienated the lost. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. In fact, Jesus, instead, he offended the religious people. Those angry people with all their rules, don't be one of those. Yeah, don't get quiet on me. It's amen or oh me. It's one of the two. But I just want you to understand, it is wrong when we think that lost people are our enemy. That's not in the Bible. We're supposed to reach those people. And you can't reach them if you think they're your enemy. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our battle is with the powers of darkness. And that's where we need to focus our energy. That's where we need to focus our fight. That's where we need to focus our anger. That's where we need to focus our aggression. Not flesh and blood. Verse 13, he says, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand. Verse 14, he says it again. Stand therefore. There's three times already that he said stand. You've got to take a stand against the enemy. You can't fight the good fight of faith with your feet up in the recliner of life. You've got to take a stand. This lazy Christianity. You've got to take a stand. Some believers, you know, they, just, they just want Jesus just to do, do everything for me. It's like the old country song. Some of you old enough to remember. Drop kick me Jesus through the goalpost of life. It's real, young people. YouTube it later. 
drop kick me Jesus through the goalpost of life. Here I am like a dead weight. Kick me through the goalpost of life. No. He ain't gonna. Because his word says stand. Stand against all the wiles of the devil. And having done all to stand, stand. Stand therefore. You got to take a stand. You got to be willing to fight. You got to be willing for fight for what belongs to you as a child of God. Your salvation for healing, for your family serving God, your kids serving God. You got to fight to defend sometimes your health and your finances. You got to be willing to fight and defend the call of God on your life. Fight and defend, not against other people, against the powers of darkness. You stand against them and you fight. And let me tell you, you'll win. I'm going to read on from verse 14. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. He said that we're to put on the whole armor of God. Amen. Here's the first part. He said, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. You need to know the truth of God's word. Jesus said to the Father, thy word is truth. This is the source of truth. This world, they didn't got a clue about what truth is. We know what truth is. Truth is the word of God. Jesus said if you continue in his word, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. You need to know the word of God. See, a lot of people are so susceptible to deception... And listen, they may be streetwise. See, some people think they're wise. Well, when it comes to the devil, you are no match for him apart from God. And you need the truth of God's word. I'll tell you, there are a lot of smart people been deceived by the enemy. The only prevention and cure is the word of God. The truth of God's word. So you got to have that belt of truth so that you're prepared for whatever deception that Satan might throw at you. Next he says, having on the breastplate of righteousness. Your righteousness is a gift of, of God that you receive by faith. It is because of the blood of Jesus, the price that he paid, that we are righteous. Here's what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He made him who knew no sin, who knew no sin? Jesus and Jesus only. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. How many righteous people we got here this morning? Amen. Listen, if you don't know that you are righteous as a child of God, you got a problem. The enemy's going to beat up on you. And listen... We're not talking about self-righteous. If you think you're self-righteous, you've got an even bigger problem. No, we can never be righteous on our own, but God made us righteous, and we accept that by faith. That's how we receive that. And he calls it here the breastplate of righteousness. Let me tell you why this is so important. Because Satan will try to beat you down and accuse you and rob you of your confidence. I mean... Who do you think you are? What right do you have to stand on the promises of God? You see, he'll try to put guilt and shame on you, 
to the point where you don't even feel like you can stand against him. Listen, if you've done wrong, and the Bible says that all have sinned, and I just want to tell you, when you do wrong, and you feel guilty, here's what you do. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So don't let the devil beat you up. Ask God to forgive you. Confess it to Him and allow His forgiveness and cleansing. See, we're talking about being cleansed of all unrighteousness. You need to allow God to bring deliverance in your life from all unrighteousness. But don't let the devil beat you up, beat you down, not beat you up. He will beat you down to keep you from being able to have faith and really believe God. You need that breastplate of righteousness always in your life. Now, in the next part, he talks about having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And we need to always be prepared for the battle with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, hear me. There are dozens and dozens of scripture that tell us that we should go into the world and preach this gospel and be witnesses of him. This verse, that's not really what it's talking about. I want to say that one more time. I'm not taking anything away from sharing the gospel and witnessing. There's so many verses that tell us to do that. But this one, in the context, he's talking about the armor of God. And we need, he calls it here, the good news, the gospel of peace. You see, because the enemy will try to get you rattled. He'll try to get you shook and unsettled. If he can get you feeling that way and get get your mind headed the wrong direction, then he's got an advantage of you. No, we need the peace of God every day. Philippians 4, 7 says the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And so, yes, we have this peace to protect us from the attack of the enemy. It is another part of the armor of God that shields us and protects us from the enemy. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. We talked about this one a lot last week. That shield of faith is so important when you're standing against the attack of the enemy. It is how you quench, it's how you stop the fiery darts of the enemy. Then he says in verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation. Don't let the devil mess with your mind. No, you need to know that you know that you know that Jesus is your Savior. He saved you. He set you free. He's delivered you. He's healed you and made you whole that you are a new creation in Christ. See, you you, got to have that helmet of salvation. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You got to have the Word of God. Or you have no offensive weapon. All the other parts of the armor are to protect you. This is our weapon that we attack the enemy with. Listen, the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, it's so powerful that angels and demons have to heed the Word of God. You need to realize 
this word from God. It is a two-edged sword. Hebrews 4.12 says it's alive and powerful. So when we speak the word of God, it's alive and it has such power. The enemy knows that we can put him to flight with the word of God. And you need to know the word of God. Don't be a part of this lazy Christian culture today where people are satisfied to just know a little dab. I challenge you as your pastor, I, I declare to you, you need to know the Bible. You need to be able to speak the word of God. Now, if you're new to reading the Bible, I just want to tell you, don't start in Leviticus. Read Genesis, all powerful stories of faith in Genesis. Read Proverbs and Psalms and read the Gospels. And then you can keep going in the New Testament. But don't get bogged down reading somewhere about the begats. You don't know what that is? That's okay. Just start in Genesis. And then go to the gospel. Okay, I'm moving on. I just want to encourage you, though. You need to know the Bible. And, and if, if you're a new believer, you just start, start where you are. But get to know the Word of God until you can speak it out of your mouth, until you know what it says. When you're attacked, when you see trouble in this world, you know what the Bible says. You know how to pray. See, all of the armor is important. But it's pretty useless without prayer. And here's one of the most powerful ways that you can pray. You pray the Word of God. Oh, that's powerful. But I want you to see this. We read through verse 17, the very next verse. It's not even the beginning of another sentence. It is a continuation of the previous sentence. Verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Prayer is where our spiritual strength shows up. It doesn't matter how strong you are physically when it comes to spiritual warfare. My little wife is a spiritual dynamo. And I have known a lot of men who were big, burly men, looked like they did steroids, but when it comes to spiritual warfare, they're like little girls. We need to know how to stand against the enemy. You know, if an enemy was trying to break into our house, most of us would rise up and we would defend. We would stand against them. We would do whatever it took to defend our home and our family, right? Did you know there's a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and a lot of people are sitting in the easy chair while he does it? Get up and fight. Take a stand against him. And you do that when you go to the Lord in prayer, and you're praying the Word of God. I'm telling you, that's powerful. You can put the enemy to flight. Stand against him. I want us to go to 2 Kings chapter 13. And while you're turning there, okay, while you're looking at the screen when I give you the scriptures, I I know how it is. Yeah. 
The story is about a king of Israel who needed help to overcome his enemies. And I just want you to get this from the beginning. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know, spoil the story here for you. But he was sincere in wanting God's help and wanting victory. But he failed. He had everything that he needed to win. But he didn't. And that is so true of so many believers today. They're sincere, and they have everything they need to win. It's available to them, and yet they don't. And so there's some spiritual principles that we can learn from here. You know, in the New Testament, it tells us that the Old Testament stories were written down for our teaching, for us to learn from. And we learn spiritual principles from these stories. So we're going to begin in 2 Kings 13, 14 through 19. Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. Now, Elisha was a great prophet, a great man of God. And Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen. King Joash comes to Elijah. He knows that Elijah is about to die, and he is scared because Elijah, as that, that man of God, he has been the source of God's protection for the people. It is through Elisha that over and over again, God had brought deliverance and victory. And so Joash is afraid because Elijah is about to die. And he says this weird thing, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen. Now, if you know the backstory, it's not that weird. You see, Elisha was the one that watched his mentor, Elijah, go up in a chariot of fire. And those are the exact words that he said, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen. And so now Joash, he sees that if Elisha leaves, if Elijah passes on, that they're going to be open to attack from the Syrians. And that's the situation here that happens. And so I want to go to verse 15. Elisha says to him, take a bow and some arrows. And so he took himself a bow and some arrows. And then he said to the king, put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it. And Elisha put his hands on the king's hand. And he said, open the east window. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria For you must strike the Syrians at Aphek till you have destroyed them. And right here, he tells them how he can have victory. He tells him very plainly. He he gives him a simple, clear word from the Lord. He tells him, you must strike the Syrians at Aphek till you have destroyed them. He got a word from the Lord. Did you know most of the time our victory comes through a word from the Lord? Now, some believers just don't even think it's important to seek the Lord or to get a word from God. You need a word from God. Sometimes, most often, a word comes to us as we are reading or meditating the Scripture, or maybe it's a Scripture that we've known for a while, but 
all of the sudden the Holy Spirit brings that, that, that Scripture to our remembrance or we're reading and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit causes that Scripture to come to life to us and we got a word, we know what we're supposed to do. We got a word to stand on. See, when you stand against the enemy, you got to stand on a word. Sometimes that word comes through a man or woman of God or a brother or sister in the Lord. Sometimes you, you might just be going through your day and, and talking to the Lord and all of a sudden he just gives you a word and you know. But you need a word from the Lord. That sword of the Spirit, that is your weapon that you go after the enemy with. The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, that is key to your victory. You got to remember the sword of your spirit is the sword of the spirit is our primary weapon that we attack Satan with. You know, it, it kind of goes like this. I'll give you a testimony here. Listen, <clears throat> sometimes when I've had a lot of headaches and you know struggled with that, and I hear this little voice, uh, this fear tries to come that says, you know, aneurysms run in your family. You're going to die young. You better get some life insurance so you, to take care of your little wife. I got a word from the Lord. The fear of the Lord prolongs days. I know He's going to prolong my days until I have fulfilled everything that He has called me to do. Until I have finished my course, I'm going to keep the faith it's Proverbs 10, 27, by the way. The fear of the Lord prolongs days. There's a lot of those. But I'm just telling you, you've got to have a word if you're going to overcome Satan's attack and his fear and his deception that he tries to put on you. You know, when it, when it looks like your children are heading the wrong way, don't fear. Fight. Amen. Stand and fight. You know, here's a promise from the Word of God. You train up a child in the way they should go. When they're old, they'll not depart from it. Now, sometimes that's, that's the word you, you can stand on. You say, you know what? I train my children up, and I, I believe in God that they're going to serve the Lord. I'm not going to go by what I see right now. When they're old, they're not going to depart from it. They're going to serve the Lord. You say, oh, but I didn't, I didn't train mine up the way that I should have. Well, I got one for that, Acts 16.31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you and your household shall be saved. Now listen, that word was given to a jailer who was watching the Apostle Paul. This man, listen, there's no indication that he's any kind of believer whatsoever. In fact, part of the word to him was, Believe on the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. He asked, he said, what must I do to be saved? And he says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your household shall be saved. So if you haven't been saved, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your household will be saved. You've been saved, but you don't know about your kids. Listen, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your household will be saved. Listen, if that word was good for that jailer, I'm telling you it's good for you. But you need a word that you can stand on, whatever that battle might be. You know, when it looks like the money's going to run out, Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all your needs, all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Here's another one from Proverbs 10.22, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow with it. You need a word to stand on. Have you ever felt like you're being attacked on all sides, you know, four fronts at one time? 
I have. Great are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Amen. Sometimes everything just seems like it's going wrong, being attacked everywhere. I'm telling you, there is a word for you to overcome. That's Psalm 34 and 19, by the way. You know, you need to be saying, I know the Lord's going to deliver me. I'm standing on the word. I'm not going to give in to those fears. I'm going to keep standing and believing. Now, what happens next in our story here is kind of strange at a quick read, but you've got to understand it in the light of what he had just told him. He told him, he gave him this word, you've got to totally destroy your enemy. Totally destroy your enemy. We're at 2 Kings 13, verse 18. Then he said, take some arrows, take the arrows, and he took them, and he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. Strike the ground. Strike the ground. Linear verb. You keep doing it. Strike the ground. He didn't tell him to stop, but he struck three times and he stopped. And the man of God was angry with him. He said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. And that's exactly what happened. They won three battles against Syria, and then Syria overcame them. So, how did Joash miss it? It was his half-hearted obedience to the instructions that he was given. If the Lord instructs you to do something, you do it with all your might. Whatever you do, you do heartily as unto the Lord. You do it with all your might. You don't just sort of kind of do it. This is the way that so many people approach the things of God and even the Word of God. It's just sort of kind of. Half-hearted, apathetic. No, we got to be passionate about the things of God See, it was Joash's apathy, his lack of total commitment that cost him and cost the people of God. His attitude about pursuing and totally defeating the Syrians, I'm telling you, you see, it showed up in his actions about striking the ground with the arrows. God's not playing a game. He's not playing a game with Joash. He's not playing a game with you and me. But when, he, when he's told that he must totally destroy his enemy, and, and then the man of God says, now strike the ground with the arrows. Here he goes. No. You've got to totally destroy your enemy. Now listen, this kind of passion, this kind of determination was not in Joash. I'm going to get you. We're going to destroy you. I'm not going to stop until it's done. You do what God tells you to do until he says to stop. Don't mess around. See, every time Joash struck the ground in private, it meant a victory for God's people. He struck three times, they had three victories. Get this. What we do in private will be manifested in our victory or our defeat. Matthew 6, Jesus tells us that what our Father sees in secret, He will reward openly. 
It is our commitment, our devotion, and our obedience in private. It's so often the little things that will determine whether or not we win. I'm sure it made no sense to Joash to strike the ground with the arrows. And sometimes the things, the word of God may not make sense to you. You do it anyway. And you do it with passion. You decide that you're, you're going to go all out and obey God to the best of your ability. We just got to be willing to fully obey God whether we understand it or not. Here's a typical story. The husband, he goes to his pastor. He says, Pastor, my wife says she's sick of me. She says I'm selfish. And she says she's going to divorce me. The pastor, like a good pastor, he begins to speak the word to the man and gives him a word. He says, the Bible says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So I want you to go home. I want you to apologize to your wife for the way you've been and tell her that things are going to be different. And I want you to begin to love her to the best of your ability. You love her. You take care of her like you never have before. Man comes back about two months later. He says, oh, pastor, my wife divorced me. Pastor said, oh, I'm so sorry. Did you do what I told you to do? He said, well, you know, Pastor, I started kind of to, you know, change and try to do a little different, but I just didn't think that was really going to matter. Defeat. Here's the word of the Lord. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. New Testament, it's in the Bible. Come on. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Well, that's not what we believe in this church culture. That is such a perverted deception of Satan to get people out of church and get people weak, get people beat down so that they are easy prey for the enemy. I'm going to get my family in church. It's going to be priority. We're going to go to church as much as we can. We're going to be in church pastor preached a boring message. I don't know if I want to go next week until he gets done with this series. <laughs> Having a missionary, that, you know, that might be a good time for us to just do something else. You know, we're just busy. We're busy. Right. And ten years from now, when your kids don't go to church and they're not serving God, one of them's an alcoholic and the other ones, you don't even know where they are. Why doesn't God do something? Stand. Fight. Obey the word of God. Do what God tells you to do until you have defeated your enemy. You know, the word of the Lord is that that the tithe belongs to God. Oh, I don't know about all that, but you know, I'll give an offering. I'm telling you you got to make up your mind that you're going to serve God with a whole heart. Joash's problem, listen, it wasn't a game. It wasn't that he tapped some arrows. Listen, it was the attitude of his heart. It was his complacency. It was, listen, lukewarmness. That's right. 
You can't win if you're not on fire for God. If you're not really serving God with a whole heart, if you're not passionate about the Lord, you can't beat the devil on your own. And you can't be the, beat the devil with half-hearted obedience. You can't beat the devil with loving God with half your heart. You can't beat the devil playing church and just kind of along for the ride. You got to get all in. You got to become a true follower of Jesus. That's part of this equation. I'm telling you, church, we need to hear this. There's no way that you can ride the fence and defeat Satan. No, Jesus has to truly be Lord of our life for us to defeat Satan. James 4, 7, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Listen, you can't get past the first part of that. You can resist the devil all you want to, but if you're not submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life, it's not going to work. Submit yourself to God. You make up your mind that you're going to obey God, whatever He says, that you're going to do what He wants you to do, that you are truly a servant of the Lord. As the battle is real, and there's so much on the line, don't be half-hearted like Joash, but make up your mind to go all in and follow Jesus. I want you to stand with me. We're going to pray. I'd like for our prayer partners to come.